did in chapter 2. Okay? Chapter 4, verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I, let me read it again. I, in, I, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. There's something happening at the Philippian church, in the Philippian church, that's causing disunity. That's creating division. That's causing people to separate into camps, into different camps, into different tribes. Yodia is the ruler of one camp, or the chief of one camp. Syntyche is the chief of another tribe, and they can't get along. And the message of the gospel, which is the message that goes out from this church, and Paul commends them for, for, for expressing this message in, in, in ways that are, that are full of integrity, in ways that, are, that, that don't compromise the message. He, he commends them for it, but he says, there's a problem in the church and it has to do with these two women and they can't get along. And they're creating division in the body. Now here, I want, you to, I want you to notice this, okay? Here he is, he's mentioning two people. So he, when, this, 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 is a, this is a letter that's read in front of the entire church. And it's almost like he's saying, Alice Wilson and Wanda Perryman, you start getting along. Now see, if, if, I, if I did that, if I knew, if I knew there was division in our church and some people were rallying around Alice, in her opinion, and others were rallying around Wanda, in her opinion. If I mentioned their names, oh, you guys would be so angry at me. But Paul doesn't have any problem mentioning their names. Because division in the church is a serious thing. It, it, it just it, it destroys our integrity. The community isn't going to listen to, to, to Grace Community Church and it's in the message that we want to give our community, that we want to express to our community if we can't get along. I mean, Dale was, was reading about peace. Conflict resolution. Now here's where the Christmas message factors in. Understand that, that, that Christmas, and, and this, this is not profound, everybody would agree with this and everybody recognizes this and everybody relishes this. Christmas is a holiday. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year, my favorite time of the year. It's always been my favorite time of the year for different reasons. When I was younger, it was my favorite time of the year for obvious reasons. As I've gotten older, when I became a pastor, and I became responsible for expressing the, Christ, the, the, the Christmas message, it, it became very important for another reason. 
But, it, but it's always been associated with, with, with really cool stuff. Like that. And that. And these. And all kinds of cool stuff. Not even to mention the food. The goodies. The cookies. With, with, the, with the Hershey's Kiss right in the middle. The green and red M&M's. I mean, it's, it's, it's a holiday, and it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's fun, and we get to sing these special songs. And I have, my, you know, my Pandora station is Mannheim Steamroller Holiday. And I love it. But it is so much more than a holiday to celebrate. It's truth. It's truth that will transform our lives. It's a message. It's, it's a message that changes everything. It can reconcile. Most importantly, the sinner to God. But also very, very importantly, the sinner to another sinner. Christmas is truth. Truth. Let's pray and then we'll look at Philippians chapter 2. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the way that it challenges us. We thank You for the revelation of Christmas, the, 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 the story that, that, that is critically important for us to understand. And help us today to understand it. We pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Chapter 2. Um, Paul, in, 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 you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a letter to a certain people who, who, who know exactly what he's talking about. We have to do a little reconstruction. Because when you, when you write a letter to a specific group of people, you don't, you don't write it so that everybody can understand it necessarily. You write it so that the people that you're writing it to can understand it. And sometimes one of the challenges of, of, of interpreting a, one of Paul's letters is, is, is understanding what exactly he's saying. Okay, so we, we have to put this together. Well, we know for sure, we know, we know this for sure, that there's problems in the church regarding unity. So in chapter 2, he says this. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and there is. If there's any comfort from love, and, and there is. If there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and all of those things were, were, were taking place in the church, in, in the relationships that people had with one another in the church, all of those things were taking place. They were. Not in a, in, in a perfect expression of those things. It was imperfect, but they were happening. And, and Paul was glad for that. 
Philippians is not a, is not a, a bleak and dark letter. There's a lot of joy in Philippians. So these things are happening, but, but he goes on to say this. Complete my joy. Complete it. It's an incomplete kind of joy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Now that doesn't mean agreeing on everything. We're not going to agree about everything. But let's let Paul flesh this out for us. Having the same kind of love. Being in full accord and of one mind. There's that word again, mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. If you ever read a more countercultural, counterintuitive idea than that, I'm going to be honest with you, and I try to always be honest with you. I read that and it hurts. I read that and I want to pass right by it. I ignore the double yellow and I pass it. Because I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about that standard. For my behavior, that, 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 that standard for, 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 for my character within the body of Christ. Paul's saying to them, I want you to think of others as being more important than yourselves. More significant than yourselves. Let's do a little poll. To how many of you does that come naturally? I'm assuming by the absence of a raised hand that it doesn't. Oh, there are nice people. There are nice people in this church. There are people who would figuratively give you the shirt off their back, right? But maybe not every shirt in their closet. I mean, this is an impossibly high standard of thought and behavior. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, and we have to look to our own interests. We have to, I mean, nobody's, if you're an adult and you're able to, nobody's going to feed you. Right? I don't expect you to, 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 to lift the fork to my mouth. We have to look out for our own interests to a certain degree. But don't only look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. Have this mind, there's that word again, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now here's where we come to Christmas truth. Christmas truth. 
This is probably an, uh, an ancient hymn that, that, that Paul adapted and put into his letter. And it just, it just expresses the, the, what, what's, what's behind the, the driving force behind the incarnation, which is Christmas. The incarnation of God the Son. God becoming a human being without ceasing to be God. Being God and man in this one inexpressible almost person. Let each of you look now. Okay, verse 6, verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God. God. In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. God, in the beginning, the agent of creation. The one who made all this stuff. The one who created the world, the universe. Everything in it. Who, although he was God, and there are special prerogatives to being God, right? I mean, it's a privilege to be God, right? I mean, that almost seems ridiculous to say. God is God. There's no one like God. Who, existing in the form of, of, of God, did not think that, I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit, did not think that it was appropriate did not think that it was appropriate that he, that he hung on to his royal prerogatives when he became a human being. Who, although he was in a form of God, this is what it literally says, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to, to, to reach out and, and hang on to. That doesn't mean that he ceased being God when he became the baby. God the creator of the universe sucked on his mother's breast. Think about that. But emptied himself. God. Didn't insist on being God when he lived among us. By taking the form, now listen, not of someone who lived in a palace, not even a two-story house with a garage, he was homeless. Foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of God just looks to others to give Him a place to rest. Taking the form of a servant. Taking the form of a slave. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. <laughs> so, so when my kids come and they say, Dad, give me some career advice, I say, well, you know, why don't you just become like a criminal and die a criminal's death? 
I mean, isn't that, you know, a worthy goal? God became a human being, and, and in his goal was to die like a tortured criminal on a Roman cross and be subjected to the worst, the worst treatment possible. That was his goal. Because he defines selflessness. He knows exactly what we needed. And he was willing to do whatever it took to secure it for us. Even if it meant utter shame. I do not live that way consistently enough. But if I did, there'd certainly be a lot less conflict in my life people would certainly look at me a little differently. And that's the Christmas message. He dove down into the darkest, deepest, blackest water for us. Being God comes with status. Being God comes with rank. Being God comes with privilege. He laid it all aside and became a servant. That's Christmas truth. Story doesn't end there. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue, every tongue, confess Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The way up is down. Imagine a, imagine, imagine a church full of people climbing over each other to meet one another's needs. Instead of, you know, insisting on my own preferences. Imagine There's a way to accomplish it. It can happen. Verse 12. 
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, he's not talking about He's not talking about justification. He's not talking about that, that legal and forensic term where, whereby we're, we're, uh, our guilt and condemnation is eliminated by the, by the death of Christ on the cross. What he's talking about is this common deliverance that we all share. Work it out. In other words, he's saying, Yodi and Sintiki, remember what Jesus did for you and work it out. Work it out and be, be, be a community of, of believers that, that is compelling in the community of which you're a part. Be an expression of, of, of Jesus and, and, and His love. Have, have the mind of Christ. It's a mentality. It's a way of thinking. It doesn't come naturally. We have to train ourselves to think like Christ. To give preference to one another in honor. To not think so highly of ourselves. That's something we train our minds to do. And our behavior follows our thinking. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In verse 13, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, really. It's not just up to me. For God, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. If I haven't made the case already, let me make it here. You can't just wake up one morning and decide, I'm not going to be selfish anymore. Don't you think that come January 1st, there are a lot of people who are going to say that? My New Year's resolution is not to be so selfish. And by January 2nd at 10 a.m., they've already... You can't just decide, I'm not going to be selfish anymore. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work that way. We're, we're not talking about some, some, some moral standard that you can, that you can climb toward or crawl toward or move toward in any way. We're actually talking about some, something that is supernaturally developed. We proved in a garden and subsequent to that that we don't think like Christ but we can if we'll trust Him to help us. But you've got to trust Him to help you. And that means, among other things, it means putting yourself in a position to have Him influence your thoughts. You see, if, 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 if the last time you thought about the gospel of Jesus Christ was when you were saved, 
and you've been saved for 20 years, you haven't been thinking about the gospel of Jesus Christ enough because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that trains us to think in the right way. So we have to put ourselves in a position to be constantly thinking about these things. It's discipleship. It's learning and growing. It's being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not conformed to this world. If you want to see selfishness, just walk out the door. If you want to see Christ-like, a Christ-like mentality, hopefully walk in the door. Know that it's God. Otherwise, it's moralism, and, and, and we're not interested in moralism. We're not just interested in being good, nice people, morally good. That's, that's part of it. I mean, we will be morally upright if we're in Christ, but it's more, isn't it? Isn't it more than, I mean, you can be morally upright and be selfish. But you can't be like Christ and not be morally upright. But let's not put the car before the horse. If you find yourself being selfish, self-centered, insisting on your own way, pray. God, help me. This is not the way you want me to be. This is not the way of Christ. This is not the Christmas spirit. This is not Christmas truth. And I'm not going to be able to hide it underneath all these lights and these wreaths and, 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 this, and this candy and this fudge. Do all things, verse 14, without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and gener twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in a world. God wants us to be that distinct that we shine as brightly as lights in a very dark world where selfishness reigns. Where unselfishness is uncommon except among Christians. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now before I, before I close, let me point out something to you, and I'm not going to read it, but I'll just point it out to you, and you read it later. As he closes this chapter out, chapter 2, 
he does so by presenting two people. Now he presents them within the, within the stream of their everyday life, but he elevates them to the level of example. There are two people, two very, very normal people who are providing evidence that this can happen in a life. That people really can live in such a way that they're looking out for the interests of others and not their own. Timothy is one. Epaphroditus is the other. It says of Epaphroditus that he even risked his life in the cause of Christ. It can happen. This is not, this is not an illusion. It's not a delusion. This can happen. This can be a church full of people who think like Jesus. And because they think like Jesus, or I should say because we think like Jesus, we act like Jesus. And after all, we'd all agree that people need Christmas all year long, right? Well, I just gave you a reason that people need Christmas truth all year long. Not at your long holiday. Let's pray.